0: Good morning. I have the leftovers. Um, No, I'm joking. So this morning we are concluding our series that we've been doing on the means of grace. And I expected when uh, Val made the announcement that I was preaching on fasting for all of you to burst out laughing. That it was a comedy that Tom had drawn the short straw. And actually, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that one of my kids was having a baby, and I went to see about uh, our new grandchild. And while I was away, the staff doled out who was preaching on what. And I come back, and there's only one Sunday and only one option left. And so what I decided was God God decided... Not what I decided. What God decided was I was the one who needed this message more than anybody else. You see, I do a personality profile with our interns, and we were meeting this last week. I'm an Enneagram 7. I got some friends in the house. So I'm an enthusiast. It means that my deadly sin for an enthusiast is gluttony (laughs) y'all this is hilarious I mean it really is my natural tendency is to deny myself no good thing and to avoid pain at all costs so I'm not joking when I said this message is for me I guess God is going to teach me I will lead in repentance and invite you to join me about two weeks ago Ken was preaching he used the best description to talk about the means of grace. He said, God's grace is like a well, a deep well. It is boundless. And the means of grace is like the bucket that we bring those riches up and we're able to drink deeply of God's graces and to experience Him more deeply. Fasting is another of those graces that allows us to drink deeply for our intimacy with the Father to grow. But it's probably also one of the uh, graces that's most susceptible to abuse. John Wesley once said, Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture. Others have utterly disregarded it. And I think that's, uh, that's very true. I think it is a grace that is much neglected in the life of the church today. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58, Isaiah critiques the fast of the people of Israel. And then God says, this is the kind of fast that I prefer. And we're going to look at that in three points. Fasting invites us to deeper communion with God. Fasting can heighten our sensitivity to sin, and fasting encourages intensity in our prayers. So let me invite you to stand as we read from Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 10. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. It's as if they respond by saying, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fastings, Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And then God responds, Then, if you fast like this, Then you shall, your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. I will take, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing finger and speaking with wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. Let us pray together. Lord, we so desperately need you to teach us. From your word, so we pray, Lord, that it would not be my word, but it is your word by your Spirit that is impressed upon us, your people, and we ask it together in your name, Amen. You may be seated. So, the first point that we're going to consider is fasting as a means of grace invites us into deeper communion with God. Let's begin, though, by talking about what is fasting. And why should we fast? Typically, biblically, fasting was abstaining from food for a time, typically one day. It was established in the Old Testament in the time of Leviticus. Fasting was established in Leviticus as an everlasting statute handed down to the people of God in connection with the Day of Atonement. Now, I want you to hear these words from Leviticus 16, verse 30 and 31. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourself. It is a statute forever. The word... Fasting in in the Hebrew language could actually be translated to afflict oneself. And that's where it comes from, that phrase in that passage. The people of God were were to observe a fast connected to the Day of Atonement. And it would be a time when bulls and goats would be sacrificed throughout the land It would be a time where blood would be spilled and the people of God would make a connection. My sin requires blood to be shed. I am guilty of sin against a holy God. And then they were to fast on that day. Not only were they to see it, but it was to be not only a visual representation, but a visceral reminder to them. They were to deny themselves food. And in denying themselves food, they would feel it. They would feel and be humbled before God of this poignant reminder that this is, I too am a sinner. I deserve judgment. And it would be a time to respond in gratitude to God for His mercy. Remembering that they deserve judgment It would stir their devotion and their affection to God. So that was what was intended in the Old Testament from these these fasts. In the early church, in in the New Testament church, fasting continued. I don't know if you're aware of this. As I was doing study, I learned that fasting has continued throughout the New Testament church. Twice a week until recent years, and even some churches today still observe that. Additional seasonal fasts were added to the life of the church, like Lent. Now, some of you may say, you know, for Lent this year, I think I'm going to fast from coffee, or I'm going to fast from uh, sweets. For some of us, that's a real fast, <laughs> But that's not a biblical fast. A biblical fast would be to deny oneself from food, drinking only water, for an appointed length of time. Again, the original idea was that we would deny ourselves, humble ourselves before God, draw near to Him. Another way that fasting can be um, understood from this passage is... Denying oneself physically so one might delight in the Lord. One might feast upon the Lord. And that word, feasting on the Lord or delighting in the Lord, is mentioned several times in this passage. Fasting is a call to delight ourselves more deeply in our relationship with the living God. So I think a question that we need to wrestle with, that we may need to take away from this morning and sit in a minute, what gets most in the way are you, of you delighting in and communing with God? I think in our day and age, that is something that we need to wrestle with. We live in a decadent society. This, this was driven home to me yesterday. I was helping Nathan. We were working on a project together, and so we took a break for lunch. And Nathan said, Dad, have you ever had, and I think it's called a blonde Oreo. I didn't know they existed. So then over lunch, we started joking around. And he said, do you know how many Oreos there are? So we started, I said, well, I know there's a a double stuff and there's a mega stuff and then I found out that there's a a thin stuff and then there's a thin mega double stuff and and then someone came up to me after the service and said, I googled it, you want to know how many there are? There are 65 different Oreos. (laughs) That is insane. We live in a decadent society and it is okay to deny ourselves a little bit. So what fasting is about, it is an endeavor to pry the grip of the world's delicacies from having a controlling influence upon our hearts, our souls, our lives. And the fruit of fasting that is very clear in this passage should be a greater love for God and a greater love for others. It should lead us to compassion, to those who are suffering, to those who are powerless, to those who are weak. You see, when we enter into the pain that someone is experiencing, when we experience brief pain, like, you know, from fasting, like we're going to die, we're able to enter in and identify with some of the sufferings that folks, members of the body are going through. Those who feel powerless, those who are suffering. It's interesting, if you look back at, and I want you to turn to Isaiah 57, which is just prior to the passage that we're in today. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Now remember, when the people of Israel had the Scriptures, there wasn't a chapter division between 57 and 58. This was a part of the same passage. God says, For thus says the Holy One, no, thus says the One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Those who humble themselves before God, those who inflict themselves, They experience the reviving of the Lord. And then that reviving causes them to be compassionate towards those who are suffering. And then he promises new life, healing, security, rich fellowship with him in verses 8, 9, and 10. This passage... If you go back and read it, I encourage you to go back and read it uh, later today. There's this amazing contrast that Isaiah sets up. And it's actually quite striking. God, in verses 8, 9, and 10, is pleased to respond to the people of Israel when they fast in a way that is, he, he approves. But look in verse 2 at what he says. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgments of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to me, or delight to draw near to to God. Do you understand the contrast? This is a people that says, We seek God. We delight in God. We draw near to God. What in the world does he mean? It's only drawing near to him with externals, not from a whole heart. It's drawing near to him with our lips, but our hearts being far from him. That's what he's talking about. That's the reason in verse 3 he says, or they say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? They were griping and grumbling against God. They were self-referenced rather than self-abasing. They were petulant. They were manipulating God. Their, Their fast was to get something from God. God, we fasted, now you owe us. That was their perspective. Sounds familiar if you think about Luke 18. The Pharisee, he says, boy, I'm glad I'm not like these other people. He was proud and self-exalting. Isaiah calls out the people of God because their fasting had devolved to mere externals. In verse 5, he describes a reed, and he describes sackcloth and ashes what he's talking about he says the reed just blowing in the wind instead of being um a heartfelt bowing before god and appealing to god crying out to god it's just they they bow there's sackcloth and ashes it's all about externals and god hates that fasting is a means of grace when it leads us to drink more deeply savor more richly deep intimacy with God our father so let's go on to point 2 fasting is a means of grace fasting as a means of grace can increase sensitivity to sin it can cause us to be more aware of our own sin I want to connect back to the day of atonement for the people of Israel. You remember it was a bloody sacrifice. Can you imagine the jarring reminder of the heinousness of sin before a holy God and what sin deserves? That was a powerful example for the people of God. Now we come into the New Testament, all of our sins, past present and future, have been laid upon Jesus. They've been nailed to the cross. They've been taken away. That is glorious news, isn't it? We are free and forgiven if we are in Christ. But it can lead to complacency. You see, we don't have those regular reminders of an animal being sacrificed or being reminded of what our sin deserves. So it can lead to sensitivity to sin. We just have to be careful and deliberate. And it should, what should flow from it is acts of righteousness. The prophet Isaiah says that in verse 6, it should lead to loosing the bonds, breaking the yoke, feeding the hungry, clothing or, or bringing the homeless in, clothing those who are naked. One of the commentators that I read said these could be categorized, these could be combined into three categories. That the people of God responding to God's grace to them should lead them to fight injustice, fight inhumanity, and fight inequality. Why? Because of sensitivity to sin. One who has been humbled before the high and holy and exalted one and who is denying themselves, will experience compassion towards those who are suffering, to those who are without. When hunger pains increase with fasting, we should be like Paul who says, we buffet our bodies to make it submissive to us. Let's face it. Our appetites, and it just—it isn't just an appetite for food. Our appetites are like spoiled children, demanding to be fed now. Now, maybe that's just me, but it's—it's—it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's a thing. Instead, we're called to make our flesh submit to our spirit. The very. In a very similar way, we can be more in tune with the demands of our sinful flesh and then we're strengthened to say no to sin. In essence, it's taking up our cross, saying no to ourselves, disadvantaging ourselves for the sake of others. Now, I want to commend you as a church. I want to commend each and every one of you. I feel like you, as a church, have disadvantaged yourselves. Y'all, a couple of weeks ago, we began taking up a collection of um, uh, thing, things that were needed for Ukraine, humanitarian aid for Ukraine. This church raised money and brought supplies. And right now, we have three folks in the—they're U- not in the Ukraine. Wives of those guys, they're not in the Ukraine. <laughs> They're in Poland right next door. They have delivered hundreds of pounds of supplies of humanitarian aid that they loaded on a van and was taken into Ukraine. I think it was yesterday. And you did that. Way to go. That's right. Exactly. As if that's not cool enough, it was just a matter of weeks before that that you as a church heard about the opportunity to drill wells in Tanzania. And Barbara and I were talking about it, and we're like, we can't really afford, we've never raised enough to put one well in. How did y'all respond? Y'all raised enough money to put two wells in communities around Tanzania, and it will mean that not only will folks have water, but they'll also get the gospel, life-changing gospel. So I want to encourage you, but I want to say to us as a church, let us continue to excel in those graces. So Isaiah describes, again, this amazing contrast. The people of Israel would fast, and then they would oppress others. Whenever you oppress someone, you're exalting yourself. Instead of fighting against injustice and inhumanity, they were fighting against one another. They were letting their physical hunger inflame their flesh. They were being controlled by their appetites rather than having their appetites under control. Isaiah even uses the term, they were wagging their fingers at one another. And there's been a lot of that over the last few years. May we humble ourselves and grow in sensitivity to our own sin and bow before the Lord. I think that's one of the reasons when Jesus talking about fasting in the Sermon of the Mount, He said, don't look gloomy. He said, so as your fast would be seen by others. It is, our fasting is not for show. It is about humbling ourselves before God, being in touch with our own sin, our own weakness and being willing to make sacrifices for others. Proper fasting leads to humility that leads to care for others, the least, the disadvantaged, the lost. In contrast, you've got pride that leads to self-interest or self-protection or just selfishness. Are there places where we as a church need to leverage the power that we possess on behalf of the powerless? Because that's what he's portraying in this passage. I think this is an area where we need to consider how we are advantaged, resourced, and powerful. None of us feel like we are, but we are compared to the whole rest of the world. How can we leverage our advantages for others? I think it's a huge blind spot for the church and an area where we need to wrestle and pray. Our daughter Natalie shared with us an example. She and the kids were going to Shake Shack. And as they were going in, they saw this homeless fellow outside of the restaurant. And so Natalie said, Come join us. We're going to have lunch. You come join us and have lunch with us. So this guy comes in, sits down with them. And when the waitress comes to take their orders, the waitress asks each person, but would not address the homeless fellow and said said to Natalie, what will he have? She was like, I don't know. Ask him. She would not address him. And then when they, got, they had placed their order and they got ready to, to eat, they took uh, one another's hands to pray. And our, our, da- our granddaughter, Winnie, took his hand and held it. And he started to cry. He was so moved that someone would treat him with dignity and the respect of one who is created in the image of God. I believe that's the call that God is placing upon us that we would be willing to be disadvantaged for the sake of others because we've come to understand what Christ has done in us and what Christ has done for us. May it be that our fasting would lead us to greater humility, sensitivity to our own sin. May we slow down and consider others around us. And then, point three, quickly. (laughs) Fasting as a means of grace can help us focus our prayers. Calvin says that fasting can make us more eager and unencumbered. It typically allows greater intensity in in our prayers. When we're hungry, we tend to concentrate more or we're reminded that we should be praying for someone. It can. I said it can, doesn't always. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine was going through a real difficult point. What Scott McKnight, a seminary professor, would call a sacred moment. And sacred moments are an invitation to fast. And so this guy, he and I fasted and prayed for a week, only drinking water for a week. That was brutal. It was spiritual warfare. There was nothing fun or easy about it. So it's hard, fasting is hard work. Let me remind you, though, we don't fast to twist God's arms. We use those sacred moments to call us to focus on a situation. It lends greater intensity. There was a beautiful example of this this past week. Rhett Wheeler asked a group of guys that he... Uh, text quite often to join in praying for Holly because she was having a bone marrow biopsy and Rodney Beasley chimed in on the text thread and he said I call a I call a day of fasting and prayer on behalf of Holly and also Paula Klein that was a sacred moment and it was an opportunity for us to join in praying With them, for us to experience just a mild little bit of suffering, but for them to experience the body of Christ gathering around them and supporting them with intensity and prayer. The Israelites were focused in their prayers, but they were focused on the answer. They complained in verse 3 Why are you not responding? Again, They wanted leverage over God. They wanted to manipulate God to answer them. The picture again in in Luke 18 of the Pharisee. The Pharisee says he's righteous. How does the tax collector, how is he portrayed in that passage? He is weeping. He is kneeling. He is beating his breast because he's humbled before God and responsive to God. Instead of being... A mindless, heartless bowing before God like a, weed, a reed blown in the wind as Isaiah describes in verse 5. Instead, it's one who appeals to God with humility. I wonder if there isn't a place for us as the people of God to bow before Him like that tax collector and say, Lord, how have I failed to feed the hungry? How have I failed to open my home to the homeless? How have I failed to seek to unyoke those who are bound in sin? It's interesting in that passage when he talks about yoked. He talks about unyoking animals and he links it to treating others like animals. May it be that, our, that we would fast and that as we fast, it would lead to intensity in our prayers and urgency to draw closer to the Lord, to draw with greater sensitivity to our sin and greater urgency before the Lord. Now, we've got a great opportunity this week. Beginning today, for the next week, we as a body, as a church... Are going to pray for the various ministries of the church. The pastoral team's going to be praying for every single member and every family in this church this next two weeks. And then on Wednesday, we have an opportunity to gather and, and fast and pray. And so I want to invite you maybe you're like, I can't fast, that's okay. Maybe you can only fast one meal. We want to invite you to come. As, a, as the body of Christ, let's gather together and pray and see what God might do in us and then through us with compassion for others. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this passage. It is, it is a sobering reminder, Lord, that you do invite us to come. You want to bless your people. You want to respond to our fasting and praying, but may we come to you with our whole hearts. May it not just be externals, may it not just be with our lips, but with our lives, with our souls. And so bless us, Lord Jesus, we ask in your name, amen. Let me invite you to stand to receive God's gracious word, his benediction. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each and every one of you, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.